It is Locked on Jazz for the 17th of October, opening week of the NBA season. The Jazz cut down. Why did Jared Butler get cut with Stanley Johnson and Cody Zeller? We'll talk about that. The preseason has me completely questioning what I think this team can do offensively and defensively. That would be really good offensively. We weren't in the preseason. That would be really bad defensively. We weren't in the preseason. We'll talk about it coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. If you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. Thank you so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps. We're also on YouTube. And if you're watching, please subscribe and hit that little bell notification button that tells you... Whenever we launch a show, and if you're on a good old podcasting app, five stars and a review are much appreciated. All right, uh, your YouTube question of the day, will the Jazz be better offensively or defensively? Because I'm totally confused now, and I'll share that with you uh, in a minute. But let's start off with the Jazz cut down day and cutting Jared Butler, Stanley Johnson, and Cody Zeller keeping... Leandro Balmaro and Odoka Azabuke for all int- and Rudy Gay for all intents and purposes. Um, so let's walk through that uh, for a second. It is opening week and tickets are available, by the way, at utahjazz.com um, for that uh, for opening night against Denver. Should be a lot of fun. All right. So first thing on this, I think Jared Butler's the the headline story to everyone. There were such high hopes for him, the 40th pick of the draft. You know, the first thing I would just say is he was the 40th pick of the draft. And I'm not trying to be critical, but it, like, it's not uncommon for 40th picks of the draft to not make the team a second year. We saw it with Jarrell Brantley. We've seen it with Justin Wright Foreman. We've seen it with Mia Oni. Like, this is not that uncommon in any way, shape, or form. Why didn't Jared Butler make it, um, having been the Final Four MVP, as well as um, having some of the skills? He does have a really special... offensive hesitation game in which he is able to get to the basket. Um, He does not have positional size, and he seemed particularly, for whatever reason, 6'3", to be small out there. Maybe lack of reach. Um, And, you know, the one thing that jumped out to me a lot during last year's play was the amount of air balls and that the game was, was getting fast on him and closing up, and that shot comes from a little lower than you might ideally want it to be and it I think it did lead to some more you know kind of really rush shots defensively he tried to do the best he could um he really worked hard at the summer league to try to increase his defensive capabilities he did not have a great offensive summer league either and then in campus year I thought he was fine like he was you know if we're really honest about it he was better in the fourth quarter of games in which you're suddenly against San Antonio's third team right, where you're suddenly against Toronto's third team than he was in the minutes against the primary teams. Um, but I'm not entirely sure that the, the letting Jared Butler go was necessarily like an indictment on Jared Butler. 
Um, I do think it leads to some interesting questions for like kids coming in and how they're supposed to approach things. Um, but I think it is as much as anything about Leandro Balmaro. Um, I, as I've said, I, I really kind of like Balmaro and he, Balmaro peeks out on the non-teachable items. Now, let's be perfectly clear. I'm both Adoka Azabuke and Balmero. We can talk about all the positives today. And the fact of the matter is there's a real chance that coming up in just you know a little while, when they're op- when both these guys have options up, that the Jazz don't exercise them. But Balmero at six six and two hundred pounds probably can play backup point guard if the Jazz need it. Can slide to shooting guard. Can slide to small forward. I think he can probably run the team better. His natural instinct is to to get the ball to his teammates. Um, he's able to get wherever he wants to get to on the floor. His experience is also really limited. I mean, the other takeaway here that the Jazz have to really be careful about, and this is probably only important next year for Simone Foncecchio, is that neither Minnesota or Utah were in positions last year to let young players just go get time for the sake of getting time, the way um, the Jazz might be able to do this year, or where the discrepancy between you know that player that is the fifth, the eighth player, and the twelfth player is so slim. For the Jazz, that was a pretty stark difference, right? Like, if you're giving Jared Butler minutes last year, you were probably taking away Mike Conley minutes, or Trent Forrest was pretty good um, in that time uh, for the defensive purposes that he needed. Um, we can dig into that in a little bit. Same thing this year with for the Jazz is they need to make sure that uh, that these guys get enough time that they can really evaluate them. Now, for Odoka Azubuke and Leandro Balmero, it's actually only like two months because then their options are even less because then their options come up here and you have to make another decision on them. Um, and both of them as first-round draft picks, those options can be a little expensive um, in realm of the cap. But just in Balmero versus Butler, um, I think there's a chance that Balmero can figure out how to shoot. He definitely got you know overwhelmed and a little bit, I think, psyched out last year. I talking to people in Minnesota, he got a bunch of time and then it, it didn't go well for about seven games. And then he literally stopped shooting. He went five straight games without taking a shot. And he only had like two games the rest of the year until the final game of the season where he took more than one shot in an entire game. Um, and just, you know, so he didn't, didn't play much, didn't play at all in the playoffs. And so he's very, very limited. But at 6'6", able to get the ball wherever he needs to on the floor, scrappy defensively, longer positional size, that decision makes some sense to me. Um, what I think is a super interesting discussion about both these guys is just kind of the mental challenge of what happens to a, a, a pretty good player when they come to the NBA. You know, I think one of the things, Jared, understandably, came to the NBA, and I'd be curious if he would agree with this. He came to the NBA after the final NBA Final Four, really thought he was a first-round draft pick, then wasn't a first-round draft pick, then wasn't able to play Summer League, and then got beat out by Trent Forrest. And to his, like, confidence credit, nowhere along the way did he ever, like, waver that he was going to be, like, a bona fide NBA starting guard and great. Like, this kid's got so much confidence that when we asked him this year whether or not if he had stayed playing football, what would have happened? He said, I'd be an NFL starting quarterback. Like, that's the level of confidence that Jared Butler has. On the other end, there's probably some value for Jared Butler to be able to look down at, like, a game against the Washington Wizards and see Howell Neto, or now Cleveland Cavaliers, and understand that somehow Jared Butler is one year into his NBA career now, about to sign a two-way deal with someone, and trying to hang on for another NBA contract. His next time he goes to a training camp, he'll be probably non-guaranteed, 
going into a camp. And Howell Neto is about to spend his eighth year, I think it is, in the NBA. And that's like that's a pretty interesting contrast that I'm not entirely sure that Jared Butler ever grasped. Even his press conference, his last press conference with the Jazz, was about how it was unclear to him what role he, they needed out of him last year. And I kind of said this on the show the other day. Nah, not really. Like, it was really clear what they wanted. They wanted a defensive-minded guard. That's why Trent Forrest played. So what it really was, what Jared wanted his role to be, which was a bona fide, big-time point guard, scoring guard, was not did not match what the Jazz needed. Now, maybe he can get a two-way deal somewhere, go to Summer League, continue to develop that, or go to G League, continue to develop those passes, and then use that elite hesitation drive game and become a really good um, scoring guard off the bench. And, and that would be great. I'm rooting for that. I would hope that happens for him. Um, in the case of Balmaro, what's going to be a question is, I, one is how is he going to get time? As long as Conley and Clarkson and Beasley and Sexton are here, there's just not a lot of guard minutes. Um, Taylor Horton Tucker and Alexander Walker have, have the first window on those kind of th- backup three minutes behind Markin, in which Foncecchio is going to go battle for. So Balmero's the fifth guard. I don't know how he gets time here, but, you know, we do have some back-to-back, so maybe we'll see him when Conley rests. Um, and see if he can see if he can do he, he does some things really really well. He plays a beautiful game, and he's able to get wherever he wants to on the floor. I've said multiple times, but I think that's really actually a huge skill that most guys don't have. And he just it was not a good rim finisher last year. I think it was either forty one or forty nine percent. He just was not a good shooter. And you know in shooting drills you can see it like kind of coming together. He's a good free throw shooter, so he should be able to put that together. European players often take a full year before they get ready in the league. If you just kind of take th- your mind through what it takes for them to adapt to a, to a year here. So they're in a different language, in a different apartment, different concepts, different this, different that. Everything's new, right? Every city you're going to, every place you're going to. It, it's like being a rookie on steroids. And so often with European players, I think you have to really let them settle for a second and sometimes even a third year before you make uh, a decision. So that's the case for Balmaro, who's in his second year, and Foncecchio, who's in his first year. You're just doing, you know, if you have kids, you're trying to get them into a school in probably a second language. If you're trying to, anything you're trying to do at home, is everything's just way more difficult, um, you know, to the point which you could be driving on the wrong side of the street, right? Um, it, it is, everything is way more difficult for the European player coming over to the NBA. For the, so why does Adoka Azabuke make the team, and why does Stanley Johnson not make the team, and why does Rudy Gay make the team? We'll touch on that, and then look at some interesting offensive-defensive numbers that had me surprised. Uh, your Monday edition of Locked On Jazz, our good friends over at Rocket Money. I was playing with my Rocket Money account uh, this week. I do like it. It kind of catches uh, all the little things out there um, that will, will let you know when you've... Oh, I, I forgot about that. Oops, I'm paying, you know, I'm paying five bucks a month for that. Ooh, I'm paying seven bucks a month for that. Um, it was formerly True Bill. It's now Rocket Money. And, you know, they're here to make you stop wasting money on subscriptions. 80% of the people who have subscriptions, they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's unused Prime account. Maybe it's a Hulu account. Maybe it's a Netflix account. Maybe it's a silly Acorn, um, which I found out about. That would be really cool for the kids and then have never used. Um, so you end up, most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions when they actually cl- spend close to 200 And you can be, uh, that's right, you could be wasting hundreds of dollars each month. And that's where Rocket Money 
Formerly Truebill is here for you. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place, cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you don't know uh, you're paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. All at Rocket Money. So right now, go to rocketmoney.com slash locked on. You can save hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Plus, it also monitors all your charges, your expenses, your monthly trends. I like it. Does a lot of good good number stuff for you at rocketmoney.com slash locked on. Today's show also brought to you by Murdoch Chevy, our good friends, the Murdoch family. Over 80 years of serving Utah and being a part of the community with their great dealerships. And the Chevy lineup of trucks, unequaled. The Silverado, the Colorado, over 100 in stock and available to drive home today over at Murdoch uh, Chevy. In Woods Cross, also late located in Logan. When you're talking trucks, there is nothing quite like the Chevy truck, whether it's the Silverado HD, the 3500 HD, the 3500 chassis cap, or the Silverado 2500 HD, plus the Colorado is the zippy, quick-moving, fun truck to have. It's just the best lineup, the best-made trucks are out there. They're just solid all the way through, and obviously the SUVs. We know the Suburban and we know the Tahoe, the Trailblazer and the Blazer with the Traverse, the Equinox and the Trax. It's all at Murdoch Chevy located in Woods Cross right off the freeway or located in Logan. If you're going to stop by, please email me first at dlock09 at gmail.com. dlock09 at gmail.com to check it out. We've got a fun new program we're going to introduce to you this year on Locked On NBA. It's called Game to Game. It'll be on the Locked On NBA feed both podcast as well as uh, the Locked On NBA feed on YouTube for you. And the concept is that guys like myself, all the local experts, after each and every game, they will uh, give you a quick 90, 60 to 90 second John Krause Celtics with like three minutes um, breakdown of the games, and you'll go from one game to another to another. It's going to be a great way to keep up on the NBA. I hope you like it, um, but it'll launch probably maybe Tuesday or Wednesday um, on Locked On NBA. Opening days tomorrow. Of the NBA season. How awesome. Uh, that's all locked on NBA. All right, so why Adoka Azubuke rather than Cody Zeller? I think that's pretty clear. And then the next question really became, why Adoka Azubuke over Stanley Johnson? And your answer is like, well, what about Rudy Gay? So we weren't cutting Rudy Gay um, as much as, you know, frankly, Twitter seemed to want him to be the case. Here, here's why you're not cutting Rudy Gay. Um, well, he's got two years left on his contract. So you, you could stretch him if you really needed to. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of what we're doing here is about the future and not today. And so Rudy Gay's $6 million is probably more, (coughs) excuse me, more valuable. Wow, sorry about that. um, More valuable in some ways to us than Stanley Johnson being able to guard Luka Doncic, LeBron James, or whomever for five minutes at a time. Like, I know that sounds kind of nuts. But when you look at the Jazz contracts, if they were to make a trade, and let's use any of the three most likely, Conley, Beasley, Clarkson. So let's say they're trading Jordan Clarkson and there's a $20 million player on the other team that's gotten hurt. And so therefore, you know, they're, they're in desperate need to get something done. And so they want to make a trade. So, I, you know, I don't know what it would be. Or, you know, let, let's say Marcus, I, Marcus Morris is 20 million. But so, somebody gets hurt, $20 million player, and they want Jordan Clarkson at $13 million, well, that deal can't go through unless you add Rudy Gay's $6 million contract on it. The, the, the need of that puzzle piece for potential future deals is so significant that you can't just waive that contract and get rid of it. Um, you know, let's say that the Knicks 
suddenly think they need a Malik Beasley and a perfect piece, and they're going to send us Julius Randle, and we're going to get two first-round picks because we're going to eat Julius Randle's contract for the next three years, and suddenly a great deal for us. And so it's Malik Beasley. That deal has to be Malik Beasley and Rudy Gay. There's no actual other way, uh, unless we're trading Nikhil Alexander-Walker, for that deal to probably go through in our contracts right now. You know, we go from Horton Tucker at 10.2 to Rudy Gay at 6.2 to Nikhil Alexander at 5 to Jared Vanderbilt at 4. Those are the, and so you need those different numbers as puzzle pieces along the way. It would really actually be probably detrimental to the franchise to cut Rudy Gay in the long term of everything that's going on. Um, just from a standpoint that contracts do matter, money does matter, flexibility and tradeability does matter, and that we are probably on a 36-month journey, not a month, nine-month journey right now. Do I think that there's a chance that if you played Stanley Johnson this year instead of Rudy Gay, you could win more games because he could defensively impact things? Yep, I do. But that's not actually what this is about. Do I think that there's a chance long-term that Rudy Gay's contract could have more value than Stanley Johnson guarding for five to eight minutes on 12 to 15 nights? Yes. And that's what that decision really comes down to. So then it gets interesting. Then Doka makes the team over Stanley Johnson. And I think there's, you know, I think there's a few things here. I think, you know, Doke, when he's had an opportunity, has, has been okay. Now, again, Doke's in the same standpoint as Leandro Balmero, which is that there's going to be a, a you know, uh, extension day here, and they may not pick it up, depending on whether he can stay healthy or not. The other thing is we just, our roster, as much as, you, you do need, you can be doing all these things where you're developing and all these other aspects of things. You still need a roster that works. And right now we have one center on our roster, which is Walker Kessler. We're playing Jared Vanderbilt as a center. And... If, you know, if either Vanderbilt or Walker Kessler were to go down or if Walker Kessler were to struggle, which I think is actually still a realistic possibility, we don't really have another center. And you, you still need to have some sort of a center. I, I'm not, excuse me, I'm not sure that Lowry Markin is. And Kelly Olenek might be. Um, but I think that there's just some value. And frankly, you just get into unique positional size. So Balmaro is positional size over Jared Butler, and Udoka Azabuke's positional size over Stanley Johnson. Um, and, you know, on the long run, we'll see whether the Jazz pick up the club option at 3.9 miles on Oz- million for Azabuke and whether they pick up the $2.58 million for uh, uh, Leo. And, time, you know, time will just tell on those two, and it may turn out that, frankly, as much as the Jazz just cut three NBA players who will play in the NBA this year, they may end up moving, you know, it may turn out to be that five and go. All right, so that's the breakdown on that. I thought this was really interesting. When you told, if you told me the Jazz roster this year was going to be Mike Conley, uh, Colin Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, Malik Beasley, Kelly Olenek, Lowry Markinen, Jared Vanderbilt, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Taylor Horton-Tucker, my, my initial reaction would have been that we were going to be a pretty good offensive team. That's been kind of the talking points. Then I ran the numbers on it. They didn't come out great. We talked about that. And then in the preseason, we ranked 28th offensively where we were last in shooting. Or no, excuse me, 22nd in shooting. We were 27th in turnovers and 30th in free throw rate. So that's, that was, that's a little surprising to me. Now, I, I have to say that I do think that preseason numbers are rather unimportant. Um, though, like, if I was the Lakers and I was last in the league offensively in preseason, I wouldn't love that. Um, I'm not a total, you know, like there's, I've done all sorts of studies. Uh, when Qu- one of Quinn's first years, we had a really, really good defensive 
preseason, so I did a study on whether or not we um, defensive rankings translate from the preseason to the regular season. The answer was no. So Sacramento, I'm sorry. The fact that you had a dominant defense in the preseason actually means nothing. Same thing for the Knicks. Um, However, it is a little surprising to me on the Jazz that our offense scuffled like that. Now, the turnovers really might be it. We run, and, and maybe what's most surprising to me about this is we run some of the most beautiful stuff right now. Um, we, we've really gotten away from the high pick and roll. We're running a lot of, there was a beautiful play that they were Conley passes to Clarkson, then swing, sprints down to the baseline, immediately curls back off a pin down into a tight curl where Clarkson hits him. And now Conley's initiating from the middle of the floor on a tight pin down curl. Like we're, we're running beautiful stuff, like really beautiful stuff right now. And so I actually think I might've gotten caught up with how nice our offense looks and how many nice things we're doing with it to that. I actually translated that to playing better. In fact, Ron and I on after the game the other night, we're talking about the first quarter and how much better it was than the rest of the game. And I pulled up the first quarter numbers and they weren't very good either. Um, now some of this, is we just didn't shoot it right. right. Great, right? Like, so Lowry marking us a 35% career three-point shooter, shot 21% from three. Rudy Gay shot 15%. Kelly Olenek, who's about 35% three-point shooter, shot 22%. Um, Horton Tucker might not be a very good three-point shooter, shot 25%. And um, Beasley shot 27%. He's a 40% career three-point shooter. Beasley only shot 25% overall. Um we do have a little bit of a preseason funky, sh- not, not concerning in any way, shot distribution. Um, we were very, very high on the three-point shots, and then we kind of slid in some games at different times. So we finished um, middle of the pack at 36% of our shots as threes, which is totally fine. And we actually, which is a really interesting um, note, we had the fifth best shot um, location of any team in the NBA in preseason, which I really like. I actually think, I think you've heard me say that both offensively and defensively. I'm really a big believer in that number. Like, are we getting the the shots we're supposed to get? We got the sixth most amount of rim shots of any team in the preseason. So there's just so many things about what we did offensively in the preseason that I really, really like. And I guess it just comes down to we didn't put the ball in the basket enough and we turned it over a lot. Um, but, I, you know, we're using our size to get to the rim as the sixth most common team at the rim. We're running beautiful stuff that gets us into the paint not necessarily on dribble drive, but on other actions to be able to create other opportunities. We took the 16th most amount of threes, but I actually think if you look back at kind of first half against Toronto, first half against Portland, there was a lot more threes flying, um, which is good in in that stretch of time. Um, By the way, in the preseason, just kind of an interesting note, eight teams shot over 40% of their shots as threes in the preseason. Last year in the the regular season, that number, you know, just wondering whether the three-point revolution is going to continue or whether it's going to slow down. Um, last year, the amount of teams that shot more than 40% of their threes for the season was only five. So eight teams did it in the preseason. Five teams did it in the regular season. Um, I, last year in the preseason, I got bored last night and looked up a lot of stuff. Um, last night, last year in the preseason, it was nine so I don't know that that's an indicator of anything. We're kind of back to where preseason was a year ago, and then it slowed down as the season came. But I, I actually think we'll see more teams over 40% of their shots as threes than we did a year ago. So that's, you know, 
So that's where we are offensively, and maybe it's going to be more of a struggle than any of us kind of considered. Um, but I do like the shot distribution. I do like the stuff we're running. I do like the position we're putting guys in. Maybe as we go to a more regular nine-man rotation, we'll see some of that success. And then the question's obviously going to be whether those players that are inefficient so far in their career, so Taylor Horton-Tucker and Akeel Alexander-Walker, Rudy Gay recently, Jordan Clarkson, whether or not those guys torpedo the offense enough um, or whether they can find a way to be uh, productive offensive players. Defensively, though, I thought was going to be a massive problem for us. Pretty darn good in the preseason. So where does that leave us? We'll check on that um, as we continue today on the program. Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.net. For all of your sports needs, news, information, podcasts, in-depth articles, you can find them at BetOnline. Remember to continue your search for all sports wagering information, live betting, and up-to-the-minute scores on every sport out there. The fastest and easiest way to check in for all your favorite games and events. MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Wow. Major League Baseball go through some massive changes to what we anticipated um, happening. By the way, today the Denver Broncos are a four-and-a-half-point dog against the Chargers on tonight's game. Thursday night football, Arizona is a one-and-a-half-point favorite against the Saints. The Yankees and the uh, Guardians are back at it tonight in New York. Yankees are favored for that one. Your, your World Series favorite right now is the Houston Astros at plus 150. No longer the Dodgers. Woohoo! Sorry. Uh, actually, sorry, not sorry. Um, San Diego Padres at plus 325. Phillies at plus 350. Yankees at plus 500. Guardians all the way down. And made NBA one night before the start of the NBA season. Let's see what they have. The Golden State Warriors are still the favorite at plus 575. Bucks at plus 675. Celtics at plus 700. Clippers at plus 700. Nets at plus 750. Sixers at plus 1400. Who are you taking? Put it in the chat room right now if you're listening on YouTube. Who are you taking to win the NBA title? I would probably go Bucks, but I might go Sixers. I might go Sixers as my surprise team. Um, it's interesting. Brooklyn at plus 750. Their offense is going to be unbelievable, so they might be a chance. All right, just tell me in the chat room. Let me know who it is that you're thinking about for the NBA title. So defensively for the Utah Jazz, I'll be perfectly honest. I, 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 when I tried to like do some work to see what we got, um, I'm glad I looked at the numbers because a bunch of things were different than what I thought. First of all, in regards to like defending the pick and roll, right? We've had Rudy for all these years defending the pick and roll. We've played drop big all the time. I mean, I think there's a real chance that we're now going to be mostly a switch team. But if you're looking at bigs, that are the screening big defender, right? So the defender, uh, the big that's defending on the pick and roll. Kelly Olenek actually comes out relatively okay. Olenek comes out in the 56th um, percentile of all defensive players uh, against the pick. Last year he had 575 times where he was defending the pick, which is not very much. The like the top 100 guys in the league defend about that. Like Olenek was the 99th. Most common guy put in pick and roll. Lowry Markinen was put in pick and roll about the exact same amount of time. He's in the 39th percentile, um, which is not, like, great. Uh, he's uh, of pick and roll. Uh, actually, wait a second. Let me make sure I have that right on Markinen. Um, so Markinen averages. He actually might be good. That's actually better than average in this case because we're going reverse numbers. 
um, on my notes. Yep, that's right. So he's at .934 pick and roll defense. Kelly Olenek was at .97. So Markkinen was actually pretty decent when he got stuck as the big or in the pick and roll for the Jazz. Otherwise, we don't really have a lot of guys um, that were in that position. Vanderbilt is not a guy. Um, he was in about 500 pick and rolls last year. He's right about the same as Markin. So the three of them all were like decent, right? So that's actually pretty good. The, the, in the drop big, for all three of them, they were either average or a little bit above league average, which is surprising to me. I actually thought when I did this research, I thought they would all be pretty poor, frankly, that they're not a Linux, not a... Linux not a big who can kind of take down, cover the rim, but he does do a great job with positional. Uh, Markkinen has never been thought of as a good defensive player and hasn't played a lot of center, so I thought he wouldn't be great at it. And then Vanderbilt um, on some other stuff. So, you know, I thought um, really kind of interesting to see that those three guys who will be our, and then obviously we have no numbers on Walker Kessler. He should be okay, but if we're really honest about it, rookie big struggle. What was what? we are going to do a lot of defensively is we're going to play a lot of isolation. So now you got to be the ball handler defender. Um, and what's interesting about that is, you know, Boston did it last year really, really, really well and was, um, had the two best isolation defenders in the league in Al Horford um, or most common defenders, Al Horford and Grant Williams. And both of them were just elite, fantastic um, at it. We do not have that. If you go look at the top hundred defensive kind of guys that were in pick and roll or in isolation last year, Lowry Markin and Jared Vanderbilt are both in the bottom 10 defensively, which on the case of Vanderbilt, it's a little surprising that he showed up at that. Um, but he was, he was the eighth lowest ranked um, isolation defender in the league. And Lowry Markin was the 11th lowest ranked isolation defender um, in the league. Now, if the preseason's any indicator and Luka Doncic is any indicator, he, um, he was shooting after Kelly Olynyk on like every play. Luca was going after um, Olynyk to see if he could go get Kelly. Kelly was in about 107 isolations last year, and he's he's not he's in about one point of possession. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, the guys we mentioned previously um, that are in the, the Markinen and um, Vanderbilt that were in the kind of that area uh, were both. Their numbers for defensive pick and roll, just to give them to you, sorry, don't have them right in front of me. Here we go. Um, their numbers for defensive pick and roll were 1.055, and then Markinen um, was a little higher, uh, Markinen was a little lower than that. So they're all kind of in the same. So this is what's interesting, is guys who I would have statistically thought when I did the research would have been better in isolation defense actually came out to be a little bit better in drop big defense. So we'll see how that works. Obviously, I, so it just means we're going to have to be very collectively oriented defensively. We're going to have to really, really work together and in quick rotations and space. And the indicator so far is that there's been really good continuity on that because, to my surprise of what I'm talking about, the defense has been really good in the preseason. Um, now, um, Overall, they, they've done, first of all, they had the second best effective field goal percentage in shot location. They allowed the fourth least amount of threes. So that's what the switching really does. They allowed the third fewest amount of shots at the rim. I mean, this covers up, this is great. This covers up some of those items we're talking about. This is a really, really good sign for who the Jazz are and what Will Hardy's coaching with them. And we'll see if they can maintain it in the regular season. But to be the fourth best team in the league at denying threes, 
which you can do with your switching defense really well. If you switch well, that's a great way to get rid of threes because you're taking away the off-the-bounce three-point shot. You're taking away, you're hugging to some guys. You're, you, can take, you can do that very, very well. The second aspect of it is the taking away the rim like they did in the preseason is just great. Now, Dallas goes to the rim very rarely. Toronto goes to the rim very rarely. So two of your four games were against teams that don't go to the rim a lot. But that still was pretty elite-level stuff at 25% of all shots being at the rim um, and only 33% of the shots is three. So this will be really, really interesting because my instinct, and you've heard Will Hardy talk about the fact that the, that the personalities team is going to have to, the identity is going to have to be on the defensive end. And that's what they're going to have to do. Um, and if the in, if a lot of, you know, we'll see whether they can maintain this against um, regular rotations and regular players for four quarters as preseason stats all have a little bit of, you know, holes to them. But, but the, these were good signs. So, you know, it's interesting. Some of the things that we thought we would, like, early on that I thought we would be good at that we're struggling at in the preseason and things I thought we'd struggle at we're good at in the preseason might be real tribute to the coaching staff for the fact that they're that those are the areas of focus. It also might just be a really good indicator of what a mystery this season's going to be and how much we're all just going to be learning every step of the way. So it should be a fun one. Opening NBA seasons tomorrow. I'm hoping to have some guests this week. We don't do a lot of guest stuff, but Timmy Lacombe is back. Uh, Coach Tim Lacombe is back with us on the radio broadcast this year. I want to see if I can integrate him. Big T, Thurl Bailey, maybe even a little Ron Boone action. Uh, that you're getting Ron Boone on postcasts all year long. So uh, that's all coming up this week on Locked on Jazz. Thanks very much for making us the first listen of the day. Please subscribe. Please give us a five-star review. Hit that bell on YouTube if you stuck with us the whole way. Great to have you aboard. It is Locked on Jazz, your team every day.